St. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. When one of those at table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanksgiving Day. The federal holiday with the most elaborate food menu. Across the country, tables will groan under the weight of meats, potatoes, stuffings, relishes, casseroles, pies, and maybe some other regional things. In my mind's eye, this holiday comes closest to resembling the meal scenes that we find all throughout scriptures. Our passage this morning is one of these many meal scenes from the Gospels. Jesus is at table, and though even as he's at table, they're talking about other meals and other tables, another great banquet. I don't know what it is about people when we get together and we're eating food, we're talking about other food that we have eaten or food that we plan to eat. Trusting that some of you might be at a similar gathering to mark your Thanksgiving, I want to see what this passage from St. Luke's Gospel teaches us about meals, feasts, and banquets. It's dangerous to parachute into a passage like a paratrooper not knowing the lay of the land. So we need to look at a little bit at the context so we can understand and fully appreciate this scene. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and this is one of the Sabbath days, and Jesus is in the home of a prominent Pharisee. You could think of it as the big meal after the Sunday service. And he is at the home of someone who is high up in the religious elite. Jesus is invited for a little dose of roasted preacher. And Jesus is being carefully observed. As he enters into the home of this Pharisee, he encounters a man with dropsy, a severe form of swelling. Not the kind of person you would normally encounter in the home of a Pharisee. It's a provocation, perhaps. 
And Jesus heals the poor man. And as the Pharisees begin to gather their breath to gasp about this Sabbath faux pas, Jesus asks, if your son or your bull fell into a ditch or a well, would you bring them up? Would you rescue them on the Sabbath? Stunned silence. Very awkward pauses. The gathering moves from the vestibule into the main dining room. And Jesus is observing the other guests, and he watches them as they are jockeying for positions of prominence. They're at the house of this prominent Pharisee. They get to sit a little closer to him. They, maybe they can bend his ear, get some influence, develop some more social connections. This is how the country club works. Business leaders socialize in this way today. And we say it's who you know. Who you know, the connections that you have. This is how the patronage system, the patronage society of Jesus day functions. And so Jesus tells a parable. Seeing what's going on, he tells a parable. And the punchline of the parable is, take the lowest seat. Don't presume and take the seat of position. Jesus is indicting all the guests at this party. It's getting even more awkward. Then Jesus turns to the host and gives him some advice, too. He says, I see you invited all sorts of nice people to your party. People who can reciprocate your kindness. You should really invite people who can't invite you back. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and then you will be blessed. They can't repay you, but you can be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Talk about raising the awkwardness level. You can sense the tension around the table. In a very brief period of time, Jesus offends the strict Sabbatarians, the guests, and the host. You could cut the tension with a knife. And then someone pipes in and says, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Here's a macarism, a beatitude as we've been learning these, on the lips of someone at this Sunday supper. It was meant to rescue the conversation, no doubt, but I think it had the opposite effect. Jesus doesn't disagree with the meaning of this beatitude. But Jesus responds to this man by giving him a parable of a banquet on the subject of a great banquet. And the response is basically, bottom line, is yes, it is blessed to be at the feast in the kingdom of God. But how can you be sure that you will be at that feast in the kingdom of God? In St. Luke's accounting, this was not the first but the last time that Jesus was ever invited to a Pharisee's house. You can see how this encounter made him a persona non grata. And the parable that Jesus gives turns on the premise is that there is a man who prepares a great banquet. It's a familiar metaphor in Scripture. Such a banquet, such a feast is described in Isaiah 25. Familiar metaphor for the future that a lot of Pharisees trusted in. 
In Isaiah 25, the prophet writes, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, the Lord will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all of their faces. This is what the Pharisees hoped in. This is what they expected. They were a people who believed in the resurrection. And that the Messiah, the Christ, would bring this feast. And in Jesus' parable, a man is preparing a banquet. And it is a great affair. There are many guests who are invited. It is going to be a party for all the ages. This is a picture of God's generosity. God is into throwing parties. Our God loves to throw parties. That is the picture of eternity. It's not the impression that a lot of people have about God, and that could be in part due to the fact that a lot of believers are sour pussies. We give off the wrong impression. Hey, come over here. We're going to have a funeral. No, it's a party. God invites many guests. It's a great feast. I don't know if you've ever heard this parable explained by a Sunday school teacher. If you have, you probably have heard the explanation about how the social etiquette in ancient Near East worked. There would be first an invitation saying, I am having a banquet on such and such a day. Are you going to be able to come? Can you RSVP so I can have a headcount? With the headcount, the host of the meal would, how many bulls to slaughter, how many lambs to slaughter, to determine how to prepare. And then on the day of the banquet, as all the preparations are coming together, as the butchering and the barbecuing is happening, and the finishing touches are coming together, the servants would go out and tell people, it's almost ready, come, come now. They didn't have text messages in those days, so the servants would have to do it. But it wouldn't be a big problem because everybody lived close. People lived in the same villages. We're not talking about driving 40 minutes. Come, everything is now ready. It's going to start at 5 p.m. You've got about 30 minutes. This reminds me of someone in our church in California. Whenever she would receive an invitation, she would always reply. She was famous in the church for this. She'll say, yeah, I'll come unless I get a better offer. Not the best etiquette, but at least she was always honest. The guests in Jesus' parable are not quite as honest. They all make excuses. They all make excuses. Every single one of them. We only have a sampling of three. The first one says, I bought a field. I have to go see it. Kenneth Bailey, an expert in Near Eastern culture, says that before anyone even dream of buying a field in the Middle East, they would inspect it multiple times. The person who would buy a field would know everything there is to know about a field. The soil, the drainage, the types of trees that are on it, the rainfall, how old the trees are. 
He would observe it through all four seasons. He'd know everything about the land. Bailey says, I quote, the cultural equivalent would be a Westerner who calls his wife to tell her that he will be late for supper because he just purchased a new house over the phone and having signed the check now wants to drive across town and look at it. Such an excuse is absurd because house buyers inspect property with great care before considering a purchase. The second excuse is of a similar nature. This is a man who bought five yoke of oxen. There are two oxen each yoke. So this man bought ten bulls. If you remember our Leviticus series, this is expensive. You don't buy a yoke of bulls if you don't know if they're paired well, if they pull together at the same speed. Typically, how this would happen, and this is Ken Bailey's explanation, is there would be a demonstration, and potential buyers would watch the demonstration, and then they would buy it. For us, it would be like saying, sorry, I can't come. I just bought five cars over the phone. I'm not sure what make or model they are, so I'm going to go see. I hope they have an engine in them. Sorry, can't make it to your party. Please, excuse me. These excuses are ridiculous. I like to inspect my livestock at dusk. Who does that? Everyone who is at table with Jesus would have rolled their eyes at these excuses. They are paper thin. They're just too outlandish. The third excuse this man doesn't even have the courtesy to apologize. I just got married, so I can't come. Wait, is your wife allergic to banquets? You can't bring her? Newlyweds go to banquets all the time. They don't have any money. What a lame excuse. All the excuses are feeble. Whatever reason we give to, to not respond properly to God's invitation is a lame excuse. What we can notice about these people is that they stay out of the banquet not because they prefer or pursue some kind of scandalous sins. No, they're all good things. They're just too busy. They're just too busy. Isn't that our world? Everyone is just too busy. Real estate, portfolios, relationships, these are all good things. For many of us, they are far more compelling than the banquet that God has to offer. Our success can make us too busy for God. I don't know if you've ever prepared a meal because you wanted to treat someone to a nice dinner shopping, the preparing, setting of the table, only to be stood up. We had that not too long ago. Didn't even get the courtesy phone call saying, I won't show up. The sting. This is what happens to the master of the banquet. All the guests aren't coming. It is clear that these guests have colluded together to humiliate the master of the feast and to derail his banquet. And the master gets angry, rightly so. But he does not retaliate. And the master reprocesses that anger into grace, into grace for others. 
He tells the servant, go out quickly into the streets and into the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. When we were stood up, we can just throw the extra food in the refrigerator. You know, it kind of hurts, but I can microwave it, enjoy it. More food for me. But no refrigeration here. The banquet here is of a different magnitude. And for the master, this is an immovable feast. So the servant goes out and brings in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And as they're streaming into this banquet hall, he comes to the master and says, Sir, there is still more room. The master says, then go further. Go further. Go beyond our village. Go as far as you can go. Go out to the roads and the country and make them come in so that my house will be full. What God wants is his house to be full. Not just a party for a couple people. This is the heart of God. There is more room there is more room in everyone, Jesus. Come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. Make them come in. Other translations say compel them. Not in a crusader kind of way. Not forcing Christianity at the edge of a sword. Make them come in, not by arm twisting, but by reasoning. If you encounter someone who says, this nobleman is inviting you to his banquet, you might think, this sounds like a trick. Me? Are you sure that I'm invited? Some convincing would be required. There's really no catch. Yes, he wants you at his banquet. It is the sheer charity of God that you are invited. Yes, I know it's hard to believe, but you are invited. And this is a stumbling block. This is foolishness in the eyes of the world. I have to do anything to come to this party? I have to bring anything? Just come? This requires convincing. Make them come. The good news is that Jesus invites all to the feast. If you are unworthy, Jesus says, that's actually what makes you worthy. And so he grabs you by the hand and says, come, come to my feast. Come. Poor beggars are welcome. Come to my feast. Maybe Jesus' invitation to the banquet sounds too good to be true. It isn't too good to be true. It is true. Stop making excuses and join the feast. And it's not a potluck. It's not BYOB. Everything is ready. Everything is prepared. Come. The banquet master is inviting the kind of folk that the leader of the Pharisees would not. Completely opposite. That's how God operates. We can't repay it. And that's exactly who he wants. People who cannot repay him. This is no quid pro quo. We don't bring a thing to the banquet except our hunger. And there is still room. Come, come. Jesus has prepared it all, and he has paid the cost on the cross. Don't worry about the dress code. Jesus has bought and purchased garments for you to wear. 
Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And don't be surprised by the people that you find at the banquet. There are no first-rate people there. Just the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Take a look around here, this sanctuary. The church is always a motley crew of misfits. That's how you know you're in the right banquet. How you know you're in the right place. One good thing, I've been to all kinds of parties. I don't know about you. But the parties with poor people are the best kind of parties. Beggars respond with greater gratitude than the people of the upper crust. They don't complain about the hors d'oeuvres. They're a rowdy bunch of banquet crashers. Free food. Free food! The blind ones can't even see what they're eating. They're excited. Hey, pass the toboggan. Pour me some of that aged wine. Never tasted anything this good. Man, this is wonderful. I love this party. I can't believe a bum like me gets to hang out here. What a party. What a host of the Father. Jesus has been telling this parable, grammatically speaking, in second and third person. And at verse 24, as Jesus ends the parable, he switches into the first person as he draws a conclusion. He addresses the listeners of the house of this prominent Pharisee. He says, I tell you all, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste at my banquet. See, Jesus writes himself into the parable. It is his banquet. This is his banquet, as he's been describing. And what he's telling all the others at this party, all these Pharisees, you're not going to be there. You are not going to be there. They had rejected Jesus. Hope your fields were worth it. Hope your ox were worth it. This is not vindictive. Jesus is not being vindictive. These excuse makers get exactly what they want. They want the fields. They want the ox. The banquet is good news for the foreigner, for the pauper, the riffraff. But it is bad news for people who were on the original invitation list. This is a devastating indictment of those whose names are on the little name cards at the banquet. They're not there. They are not there. People who have no name. They have no fields, no oxen. All they have is brokenness and need. They're at the party. The Pharisees are the people who received the first invitation. They had the law and the prophets. And sure, the banquet sounded good to them. But when the final invitation comes, they could care less. And it's not like they didn't want to go to the banquet. They just had more important things to do. Jesus came with a second invitation, but they brushed him aside. But the master's response is he doesn't chafe at the rejection. He moves on. He finds Jay and Jack so that the banquet can go on. This passage ends with a very sober warning to religious people. We're not the Pharisees, but I think we are the religious people. You're here on a Thanksgiving day. In church, you're probably a religious person. Good chance. If you're a baptized person, if you're a professing Christian, if you are familiar with the things of God, you got the invitation and you said, I'll be there. We've made the RSVP. 
If you're like me, you can say, I've been through the catechism. I know the gospel message. It sounds great. I want to be with Jesus. We are people who have received multiple invitations. But what can happen is familiarity can breed presumption. And like the man in verse 15, we reckon, well, we know these things. We must be sure. Of course we're going to be at the feast. Isn't it great? Jesus issues professing believers a warning. You may know the hopes, but do you care about it? All these friends, they knew the hopes. They lived in the village. They didn't care about it. When Jesus says, come, do you actually follow him or do you come up with excuses? Is it just lip service? Are good things crowding out the best thing in life? You profess a faith, but do you possess the faith you should profess? At the end of the day, we can stand here before the congregation and say, I believe these things. But what we say matters almost nothing. What matters is what we do. There's a world of difference between saying, I want to come and actually coming. What stands in the way for you? What's your excuse? You hold it before Jesus because it sounded ridiculous. I think Jesus is being incredibly gracious to these Pharisees. He is trying to break in with them. This is your last invitation. I don't know when your last invitation will be. But the invitation is the same. It's the same to the pauper and to the outsider. And it is the same to the Pharisee and the presumptuous religious person. The person who has professed a long time ago. It's the same invitation. Come. Everything is now ready. Will you come? Let's pray. Our generous and merciful God, as we take this season to count our blessings, may we not be blinded by our pedigree, our material possessions, or our presumption. May we not think because we know things, we actually do them. Because we say things, we actually follow through. Lord, help us to know ourselves instead as the recipients of your generosity, of your mercy, that our entry into your banquet is nothing more and nothing less than your sheer grace. May our hearts rightly overflow that we are beggars, paupers eating at the king's table. We thank you for your grace. Protect us from presumption. In Jesus' name, amen.